On today's pod, I'm talking with Amanda about her journey and learning more about frozen embryo transfers and the impact COVID-19 has had on couples and fertility clinics. Here we go. Hey, Amanda. Thanks so much for joining me today. I know we just met a couple minutes ago as you helped me through some technical difficulties. So thanks for that. Of course. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And um, uh, you know, I think this is a really great idea uh, that you're doing. Thanks. Thanks so much for being one of my volunteers. So we actually met a couple weeks ago on an IVF discussion board or support group online. And I would love to learn more about your story and who you are. So can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am 37. My husband and I, we've been together for uh, coming up on just about 15 years. Um, we've been married for a little bit over eight. Um, no kids yet, um, hence the IVF. <laughs> we live in California and we are very busy dog parents right now. Uh, we have two labs that keep us pretty busy besides our regular day-to-day stuff. Uh, my husband's in law enforcement, and right now I am currently unemployed, just being a dog mom at home. Um, I think that's pretty much the basics. Have your dogs been part of your family for a while? Uh, we've had them, one pretty much since a puppy. Um, he's 14. The other one was a rescue. Uh, she's just about 12. So we've had them for pretty much the majority of our relationship together. So they've, they've been our practice, so to speak. I, you know, early on, I always said, you know, when I can handle my dogs, I'll think about having children. So <laughs> took us a while to get to that point. Um, you know, having dogs is, uh, can be challenging at times for sure. Oh, absolutely. I have a dog too. And we definitely used him as a training tool before we decided to start a family as well. So to that point, when did you all decide that it was time to move on? And what did that path look like? Uh, You know, it's like anyone else thinks, you know, I'm just going to go off the birth control and we'll see what happens. Um, I did that when I was 30. uh, So about seven years ago now. And we were nearly married. I think we had just been married maybe over a year. We really liked to travel a lot when we were younger, of course, you know, pre-COVID. So we spent a lot of our time traveling. We wanted to do things, you know, see the world before we buckle down to have kids. And so the first couple of years, uh, we just said, you know, let's just not try, but, you know, we'll see what happens. And we just kept living our lives and, you know, unfortunately, Pregnancy did not happen for us. Um, And from there, you know, I was young. You know, when when you're under 35, doctors tend to not worry as much. Um, My blood work was good. Everything looked good. There was really no cause for concern. The doctor just kind of said, hey, you know, give it it another six months to a year and then, you know, come back and we'll talk. Um, So that was kind of the early 30s for me. Um, in our first few years of marriage. Um, I think probably once I started getting, you know, closer to 35 was when we were like, okay, this isn't working. I was, you know, peeing on all the sticks, taking those ovulation tests and taking all the vitamins and supplements and reading all the old wives tales. You know, you, you get on the internet late at night and, you know, start going down those uh, rabbit holes, so to speak. I think finally we decided to go the IVF route probably about the end of 2018 was when we did our first consultation. Uh, We found a clinic that we liked and a doctor that we were comfortable with. We decided to start the process. It kind of started getting really overwhelming. Uh, You know, I think people hear about IVF, 
but they don't quite know what that means. It's a very scientific process and I had no idea what exactly was involved. So we did our first consult and it kind of got to be really overwhelming and we took a step back. We waited another year. So it was at the end of 2019 when we started to gear up again for our first egg retrieval, um, which we ended up finally doing in January of this year. Probably likely our only retrieval I think that we will do because we are out of pocket. Unfortunately, neither of our uh, insurance covers any of the infertility coverage, um, which was frustrating for us. So, you know, it's always a concern is the financial aspect too. Did you start with IVF or was there anything else that your doctor had recommended prior to starting IVF? So we did go straight to IVF. We did consider IUI, but based on our doctor's recommendations, you know, IUI tends to not be as successful. Um, You know, we had friends that did multiple rounds of IUI and just every month it just was not working. And so we just kind of decided, you know, let's not waste any more time. Let's just take the leap and and go for go for IVF. And, you know, you think, okay, IVF is a guaranteed thing. It's science. You know, you have the embryo, you're ready to go. And you think it's just going to work the first time. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for us yet, but we just decided we wanted to go with the thing that had the, the higher success rate. So for us, that was IVF. What was the outcome of your retrieval? It went really well. I was surprised. We ended up, I think, with it. It was, gosh, uh, I think we had 19 eggs retrieved, um, which I was surprised at. You know, it's going into it. You, you're optimistic, and I, the doctor was like, "Yeah, 10 to 12 would be great." And you know, we came out with 19. Um, I think of those 19, 16 fertilized, and we ended up with nine um, embryos after day five. Um, and we did did decide to do a frozen transfer. So they were those nine were frozen at day five. We did opt out of doing the PGT testing. We decided not to do it based on our doctor's recommendations. He said, you know, I was fairly young, you know, for IVF. Uh, I was 36 at the time of retrieval. Uh, there was really no major concerns. Neither of us have any genetic disorders in our backgrounds or anything like that. Um, So he just kind of said, you know, if you really want to do it, you know, you definitely can do it. But again, costs, unfortunately, uh, was an issue for us. It was like, okay, we just spent all this money on retrieval. And it was going to be more on top of that for the testing. And we just decided, you know, let's go with the doctor's recommendation. And we just will skip it. And um, I think, you know, if cost wasn't an issue, we definitely would have done it. Uh, we're kind of having a little bit of regret at this point that we didn't do the testing just because we haven't been successful yet. So, you know, that does help. But again, it's, it's, it's not a guarantee. You know, you can do the testing and end up with great embryos, but they still might not take. So, Do you mind talking a little bit more about cost and what that looks like, especially coming from someone who is paying out of pocket? It's pretty eye-opening. You know, it's you hear about people spending the money on IVF and until you're in that situation yourself and, you know, writing those checks and handing over your credit card. And it's, uh, it's stressful. It's, it's a lot of money. And I've, I've struggled with it myself. You know, I think, you know, is this really the best use of of our savings of our hard work? And, you know, we, we really want children and, you know, that is our goal. Um, It's a lot of money. It's um, probably, I want to say, we're a good twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars in right now. 
it's a number <laughs> that's eye-opening. It's it's crazy to think that, you know, that's what it takes to have a child. Oh, absolutely. Every time I give myself a shot of Menopure or Gana Relics, especially Gonal F, I think to myself, do you know how many hamburgers I can buy with this? Or what other ridiculous thing could I have done with this money instead of making my ovaries the size of cantaloupes? Yeah, I know. I just, I gearing up for our next transfer, I, I did a saline sonogram and just even that by itself was uh, close to a thousand dollars just for one simple test. And it was just like, Oof, okay, that was a, that was a small vacation right there <laughs> that I just, that I just spent, but okay, let's just keep going. You know, so and that's what you do. You just, you keep going. So earlier you mentioned that you were going to do a frozen embryo transfer. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that is and what the process looks like? Yeah, so our doctor uh, recommended uh, doing a frozen transfer. Um, Some people do a fresh transfer where uh, you do the transfer usually five days after your retrieval. Um, He recommended for me a frozen uh, because I did have so many eggs and it does really take a toll on your body. You know, I had no idea uh, just how big your ovaries can get when you are pumping yourself full of hormones and trying to produce as many eggs as you can. And uh, right before retrieval, it's just, you're so uncomfortable, you're tired, you're cranky. And uh, I just, I could not imagine going right into a transfer five days after retrieval. So with the frozen, you wait, Uh, you usually wait for your next cycle and uh, start the process then. Uh, it takes about, for my clinic, it's about a three-week process to gear up for a frozen transfer. And it starts with estrogen daily. And then usually about, I want to say, I think it's about a week, maybe a, not, about, not quite a week. So maybe five or six days before you start the Uh, progesterone and oil shots, and then also progesterone suppositories, um, both are which um, super fun. Uh, The progesterone and oil shots um, go into the muscle. Um, It's not fun. You really, you really gotta have your process down when you do shots. You know, you have your routine, you know, you ice the area, you do the shot, then you do a heating pad and you got to walk around and the progesterone suppositories equally are no fun. You, you get a sense of humor about it all. Um, and so our clinic does the transfer usually around uh, day 21, day 22 of your cycle. Transfer is very easy. Um, takes about maybe 20, 30 minutes and you walk out of the clinic and you're, you're technically pregnant at that point, which is always a uh, very strange feeling. You mentioned earlier that you did do a transfer earlier this year. How did that go? Yeah, so we did our first transfer in February. Um, unfortunately, that one did not work. Uh, that was ironically our highest graded embryo. It was a 5AA, um, which is the highest uh, grade that an embryo can have. And uh, first beta test, um, just it was not positive. So, and I, I had a feeling, you know, they tell you, First thing they tell you is do not test at home. Don't take any home tests. You know, wait for your your beta blood work test to come in first because the home tests can be uh, inaccurate. Uh, some people do have negative home tests and have a positive beta. So, you know, you don't want to 
stress yourself out. Um, but I had a feeling that the first one wasn't going to work. So I wasn't too surprised when our beta came back negative. I'm sorry to hear that. What was the next step after going through a failed transfer? So we definitely wanted to, you know, full steam ahead, do another transfer right away. Um, The first one was the end of February, and we met with our doctor on March 16th, uh, kind of a next steps meeting, you know, to discuss what may have went wrong, uh, what we want to do for the future. He just kind of answered our questions, um, you know, addressed some, some of our concerns, um, and March 16th, uh, that afternoon, uh, we left the, doc- the doctor's office and that afternoon, uh, the state of California pretty much locked down due to COVID and we started sheltering in place, um, that day. So, um, that put a abrupt hold on everything. California essentially locked everything down. Um, you know, there was no no doctor's office visits unless it was an absolute emergency. You know, you weren't even really supposed to be going out to the grocery store unless you had to. Um, the roads were empty. You know, everyone was working at home. Uh, our clinic was essentially shut down. They were not doing any transfers, any retrievals. Everything was immediately just stopped. What was it like to have so much momentum going into the next transfer and then having everything stop so abruptly? Um, it was frustrating, you know, it's uh, because it was just so unknown, you know, it was, everyone kind of thought, okay, well, let's give it a couple weeks and we'll see where we're at. Um, but a couple weeks, you know, turned into a month and a month turned into two months and uh, everyone was just, you know, sheltering in place and staying home and, you know, trying to stay healthy and do our best, uh, you know, to not get sick. And uh, it was just it's just, it's the unknown. I think that's always the hardest part. And, you know, you can wait and wait and wait. And you're just waiting to see when, you know, your doctor's office feels comfortable to open back up. And um, our clinic finally did uh, start taking patients. I want to say they started very, very slowly at the end of April, um, beginning of May, I want to say it was. So it was probably about a good six weeks uh, where everything was closed and We were just kind of just waiting, you know, waiting and really just trying to stay healthy was what we did. While you were waiting for your clinic to reopen, were you doing anything differently to prep your body for another FET or were you just taking a break? You know, I really just took a break. Um, The whole COVID situation was, you know, pretty stressful. It was, um, I think everyone was a little bit scared and, you know, anxious isolating from our friends and family was, you know, pretty uh, traumatic too. You know, I'm a pretty social person. My friends and I, you know, like to get together and go places, travel, do things. And here we are, we didn't see each other for weeks and weeks. And um, my husband's a first responder. And so it was always, you know, nerve wracking with him too. Is, Is he going to work and being safe? Is he being exposed? I had a, you know, higher chance of him bringing it home to me that time. And it's very nerve wracking. Was there anything that you were doing to manage all the stress and uncertainty during the time? Uh, Definitely Netflix. (laughs) I think uh, me and my couch and the TV were definitely uh, BFFs uh, for those couple of months. And my my dogs too. Getting outside when you can. um, The weather was nice enough. Even, Even honestly, just going to Costco and getting out of the house was enough to kind of just help you feel like, okay, like... 
I'm out in the world, you know, so to speak, even if it's with a mask on just for an hour, you know, it's, uh, that was, that was the extent of our dates, you know, and on a Sunday it was okay, let's go to Costco. And that was our, that was our big outing. And, you know, you kind of find the humor in it, you know, where you can. With everything going on, did your family and friends know that you guys were doing IVF and going through retrievals and FETs? Yeah, we've been pretty open. I'm usually fairly open about everything. Our family knows, my friends know, my close friends. Uh, anyway, uh, I had, you know, let my boss know what was going on too, uh, just because you have so many doctor's appointments and especially with the hormones, you know, you might just be feeling really crappy one day. And, you know, my boss was really understanding at that time as well. So it, it helps, you know, to, to let people know what's going on. Um, you know, our family has always been really supportive and, and excited for us too. My mother-in-law would love to have another grandchild. <laughs> so, you know, everyone was always asking, okay, what are, what are your plans? You know, what's the next step? And, you know, everyone wants to be supportive, but then at the same time, they're kind of like, well, is it okay to ask? And, you know, what do you feel comfortable sharing? And it's, uh, it can sometimes be a little bit of a, a touchy subject. What are some things that your friends and family have done to really help support you along in this journey? Everyone just reaches out to let us know that they're there. We do have friends that have been through IVF before um, that have been successful. You know, they have been there for us as well, too. You know, just kind of offering support and saying, hey, you know what? It didn't work for me one time, but then the next time it worked and, you know, they have, you know, beautiful kids now. And it's nice to have someone that can bring that that positivity because, you know, when it, when it doesn't work, you know, it sucks and it's discouraging. And, you know, when you can see someone that has been successful and it worked for them, you know, it's like, okay, like just you've got to kind of stay focused on on the uh, the steps ahead, you know, and not the steps behind you that that you've taken that didn't work, you know, just just having that that support and, you know, just a text message here, a text message there, you know, hey, I'm thinking of you. How are you guys doing? you know, just checking in, just, just those, those little things. It's, you know, it really does make a difference. After everything you have been through, is there anything you would tell your 30 year old self or somebody else that might be in a similar situation? Oh, oh my goodness. I have a friend, we joke about this, you know, it's like, this is all the stuff that, you know, they don't tell you <laughs> uh, in sex ed and, you know, they don't, no one tells you when you're growing up, Hey, you, you spend so much of your younger years trying not to get pregnant you know, and, and trying to plan when the right time is to get pregnant. And then when you're finally ready, you know, it doesn't happen. I think I probably would have taken things a little bit more seriously. We are raised to just think like, oh, just relax and you'll get pregnant and it will happen. And, oh, you know, just don't, don't stress about it and, and it will happen. And, it's, you know, it, it, that's nice to say, but, you know, unfortunately for so many women, it's, that's just not the case. You know, just just relaxing isn't isn't the solution to the problem. And uh, I think I would have told my thirty year old self, "Hey, you know, be a little bit more proactive." You know, I I really probably probably wasted a couple years just being really, you know, laissez faire about the whole thing. Like, nah, you know, if I get pregnant, great. If not, no big deal. It just it was a priority, but it wasn't a priority. Um, and so I think I definitely would have pushed, you know, a little harder to say, hey, you know, it's been six months, let's do some more tests or, you know, let's talk about this. And I just kind of just kind of brushed it off for a few years. A question that I get a lot or just that I see a lot of is if someone close to you 
is pregnant or you see somebody else that is, what is the best way that someone should share their news with you? Or what is the best way that you would like to hear that news? So, you know, I'm, you know, I am older, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Um, For the most part, most pregnancy announcements, you know, these days are on Facebook. (laughs) So for the majority of friends or acquaintances that have become pregnant, you know, I find out on Facebook. Um, I do have a couple close friends that did find out they were pregnant and they understood my situation. Uh, Even my sister actually um, just recently had a baby and they were really cognizant of, of telling me, you know, of not just blurting it out, being insensitive about it. You know, they did say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant, but you know, I'm rooting for you, you know, when is Amanda going to have her turn, you know, kind of thing. Um, so definitely the, the close friends, my sister for sure, you know, were cognizant of the sensitive issue. And it's, you know, I've, I've been open, you know, it, it sucks when you see the, the pregnancy announcements. It's, it's uh, every time you see one, it's kind of just a little bit of a stab in the heart where it's like, ugh, you know, them again, you know, we have friends that are on kid number two and three and, we're just, you know, over here plugging away still. That's probably one of the more difficult things of the process is while you're waiting your turn is, you know, you have to watch everybody else go through it first. And that's definitely one of the harder parts of this entire journey for sure. So what's the next step moving forward from here? So we just spent a couple months um, kind of recovering from our second, unfortunately, failed transfer, which ended in miscarriage. Uh, October is actually in pregnancy loss, awareness month, and people still kind of don't really know how to talk about it. We've just spent the last couple months healing, kind of regrouping, uh, letting my body get back to normal, you know, which is another part of the process that I think people don't talk about is, you know, after a miscarriage, you know, not only emotionally are you just drained and kind of done, you know, your body has to start all over too. Um, And that can take time. And so we are finally at the point now where I think hopefully by the end of uh, October, hopefully in a few weeks, um, we'll be doing our third transfer, fingers crossed, you know, third time's the charm, as they say which is, it's, you know, it's crazy to, you know, think about doing it all, doing it all again, because it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, uh, it takes its toll on you. And it's, it really is, it's a marathon. It's, it's not a sprint, as they say. And, uh, you know, you really got to be ready to, to dive in and start over. Do you have any questions? Or is there something you want to talk about? Reach out and let's chat. Follow me on Instagram at fried underscore eggs underscore podcast.